0: We're in a series that we're calling Perfect God Serving a perfect God In an imperfect world The passage that Pastor Corey Read to you this morning In a lot of way Explains the mess that our world Finds itself in When the knowledge of God is suppressed And denied and generations Grow up without that knowledge of God's amazing grace, God's creative order, His goodness, His design, then you can't help but to hope to inherit a mess. You see, the so-called weakness of God is greater than any strength of man, the Apostle Paul says. But the gospel, and Corey read it to you this morning, the gospel about Jesus Christ that's the power of God unto salvation as we looked at a few months ago that word salvation includes the shalom the wholeness the peace the health the healing of God so sometimes you kind of have to ask yourself why can life be so messy have you ever asked yourself that question You've had a mess in your marriage, a mess in your family, mess with your health, a mess with your finances. Well, I got good news for you. You can't spell Messiah without the word mess. You can't spell the one who came to save us from all of our sins without the word mess. And God is never, ever, ever ashamed of us in our mess. As a matter of fact, the Bible is just full. Of examples of people whose lives are a mess. One of them was the great, 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 some 1,500 years before grandmother of Jesus Christ. And this may come as a surprise to you. If I expected anybody to know who Rahab was this morning, I expected the first service to know, but over half of them didn't know who Rahab was. So I told them it's time to start reading your Bibles. If you don't know who Rahab is, then that's the same thing for you. Rahab the great-great-great-great-great-grandmother of Jesus was a prostitute. Well, that's one of the things that makes me trust the Bible is it never covers up those things that other histories and other things try to do cover up the messy parts. And Rahab, and the whole story of her throughout the Bible, she doesn't shape that title, Rahab the prostitute. Some versions use the word harlot mama and I always talk on Saturdays and I told her I was going to mention Rahab the prostitute she goes you can't say that in the pulpit I say mama I'm with Yankees they don't care she said well don't you ever bother moving back down here I said she's the grandmother of Jesus mama And mama said, God, cleaned that woman up. And I got news for you. God will clean you up too. (laughs) He's cleaned me up. That's what the blood of Jesus does is it washes away all of our sins. And Jesus says he'll make us whiter than snow. Then there's Abraham. I like Abraham and I don't like Abraham. And that's kind of embarrassing to say. He's a great man of faith, but he could be a coward sometime. Oh, no, she's not my wife. She's my sister. And he let another man take her. If I'd have been that woman, I'd have never gone back to that coward. And two times God sent her back. I mean, his life was kind of messy. Then there's Peter. Peter denies the Lord. Paul creates a mess wherever he goes. I mean you've always been kind to me and I think looking around I've been in almost every home that's here today we've got a lot of folks not here but I've been in your homes and hopefully I've never created a mess but boy you, Paul comes to your house people come to your house they tear the door down they create a riot they beat you they drag you to court Paul gets out of town <laughs> you see the gospel sometimes just being a Christian can bring a mess into your lives. David Newberry told me, he says, I never had any problems in my life until I gave my heart to Jesus. He said, then all hell broke loose. And I go, you know what? That's exactly right. That's why we call it spiritual warfare. So I want to talk to you today about how God will bring a message out of your mess. So would you stand with me one more time and we're going to pray. Father, I know this morning that there's not a person in this room that either has had a real mess in their life or they're going through a messy time right now. But I also know that you are the one that penetrates through the darkness and the confusion and you deliver us from all of our troubles but there are some strongholds in some people's thinking I made my bed so I got to sleep in it Lord just like that man in John chapter 5 you're asking them do you want to be well do you want to be whole and when you touch them they're going to pick up that bed and carry it away. No longer confined to it. You're going to touch them and deliver them this morning. So I pray, help us to listen and to hear and to everyone that's listening online. I ask you, God, in particular, speak to their hearts and help them to put their trust in you, as we just sang. For it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. You want to take a lot of notes. They're not all in the outline, but if you have the app, thanks, Lisa. If you have the app, you can follow along in the app as well. Everything that I'm going to, is on the screen will be in the the church app if you want to follow along on that. By the way, you can also tithe and give your missions offerings through that app as well. A few years ago, we prayed here in this congregation and we grieved when Pastor Rick and Kay Warren, author of the Purpose Driven Life bestseller, featured on every newscast and always being interviewed, when their son committed suicide. And Rick and Kay were very transparent after months of grieving about that and how they dealt with it. We prayed for them here in this church. Another one that this happened before we began to really understand what all was going on, but Pastor Jim and Carol Simbla, that pastors of the great New York Tabernacle, had a lot of influence on our lives, my life in particular. And their daughter became a drug addict, left home and began selling herself on the street And everybody knew who she was. I mean, Jim Simbler is a well-known man across the nation, and there in New York City as well. Jim and Carol prayed and fasted for years, and it seemed like to no avail. And then one night, she walked into the house, emaciated and weeping, asking for their forgiveness. And God saved her. And God cleaned her up and God delivered her out of the mess that she had made out of her life. I think the thing that we all have to come to terms with from time to time is at times all of our lives can be a mess. At times my life can be a mess. At times your life can be a mess. And what we tend to do, if you go ahead and put that up on the screen for me, what we tend to do is we try to cover up our messes and hide them it's kind of like back in the day when you didn't have wall-to-wall carpet and you had rugs. And of course, now I know hardwood floors are back in style. I like carpet, but that's another story for another time, especially in Michigan. Hardwood's so cold in the morning. But you know, you could sweep stuff under the rug in a big hurry if you didn't have time and then come back and get it later. Some of you are nodding your head. You've done that. Some of your mamas got on to you for doing that as well, didn't they? But sooner or later, you know, even though you may try to cover up the mess, you got to deal with it. Recently, my son called me and he says, you know, Dad, he says, you remember how you used to tease about how you could clean up the car and find a full Happy Meal sometime in the minivan? I go, yeah. He goes, I've done the same thing. He said, I find hamburgers, I find French fries. He says, And the thing about McDonald's is it never rots. And I go, let me ask you a question. Do you like the mess that it leaves in your car? I know where you're going, Dad. I go, do you tell your boys to stop making a mess? I know where you're going, Dad. I go, I just want to hear you say it because I've waited for years for you to have to deal with this. Sometimes life can really, really be a mess. Sometimes life can be a mess simply because of progress you're making in life. Sometimes my life has been messy because of the progress I've made, and it's not knowing how to handle the results of the success. Success can breed a mess. Success can breed things you never thought you'd have to deal with before. Success can sometimes be looked at like this every couple, just about every couple that I marry, they want to have children. And so we go through the part of our premarital counseling where we talk about children and how that changes your life. And, and I always tell them raising children can be very, very messy. I mean, suddenly you've got stinky diapers, and you don't want to take it outside, so you wait on your husband to take it outside. Not that Becky ever did that before, but you do want to take it outside. You wait on your husband to come home, and when you've got two of them at the same time, and you know, it can really be messy. I can remember changing diapers, and as soon as I changed the diaper, they'd mess it up, and I'd say, why are you doing this to daddy's money right now? You know, just messing everything up, and then they become toddlers, and creepers and they get very creepy because they crawl around pulling out the dirt out of your plants and suddenly things that you want to put up on the top shelf so they can't reach it you've been successful you've had children that's what God wants you to do he says be fruitful and multiply but if you multiply you're going to have a mess and if you think that's bad then They become teenagers. And Ethan, one day you're going to be a daddy and you're going to remember what I'm saying to you right now. And then you raise a teenager through that time and you realize, golly, was I like that? And your mom and daddy's going to say, you were just like that. You know, you go through one day, you feel like an adult. The next day you feel like a kid. Your emotions and your your hormones, everything is just up and down. But it's progress. You're growing up. Life can be messy because of progress. The Bible says, without oxen, a stable stays clean. But you need a strong ox for a large harvest. Well, what's he saying there? Well, he's simply saying, you can't have agricultural abundance in that day. Today we'd say a tractor. But you couldn't have agricultural abundance in that day unless you had an ox. And if you've got an ox, you've got a mess. Some of you never grown up in the country, you have no clue what I'm talking about. You see, you've got to feed and water an ox because growth always comes at a price. Growth always comes at a price. You know, if you don't have children because you just choose not to have children, you'll never understand the messiness of what I'm talking about. If if you've never started a business, you won't understand the messiness that I'm talking about from the progress that you've made. If you haven't gone to college and and maybe bit off more than you can chew in your graduate studies or in your undergraduate studies, you may not understand the mess that can be made trying to balance class and balance a job and dorm life and maybe dating life and all all that goes on with it being a part of a church, life can get messy. Because when you have an ox, you've got to water it and you've got to feed it. And can I tell you that when there comes bad weather, you can't leave that ox out in the field? You've got to bring that ox, you've got to bring that cow, you've got to bring that horse, that mule, you've got to bring it into a barn. And when you first build that barn, and I'm speaking from experience, you can smell the timber, you can smell the hay. But on a stormy day or a hot and humid day in Georgia when there's a lot of lightning and you got to bring them inside, i got to tell you, that barn doesn't smell like new timber and fresh hay anymore because my ox is always going to leave a mess that's got to be cleaned up. What goes in is coming out. And it's never as nice coming out as it was coming in. Is that offensive? You see... Growth comes with a price. And sometimes life is a mess not because you've done anything wrong, but just simply because you're being successful. And sometimes your mess can result because of sin. And maybe not your sin, maybe somebody sinned against you. Maybe the problem or the mess that you have this morning is not because you did anything wrong, but... Somebody you love, somebody you trusted, they send against you. I hear these stories all the time, you know, I trusted them with my finances, I trusted them with this, I trusted them with my daughter, my son. I hear these stories, I live these stories, I walk with families through these very messy stories. Jesus used the story of probably the most painful and traumatic thing that can happen to anyone outside of you know, maybe losing a child. Jesus says, I tell you this, whoever divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery unless his wife has been unfaithful. And I can't imagine anything more painful. I just spoke to a group of leaders this week and I said, the person who can hurt me the most is my wife. The people that can hurt me the most are the people that I allow closest into my life. My family, my friends, the pastors, the the deacons, the people I allow close into my life. Those are the people that can hurt me most in my life because I trust them the most. I yield to them the most. They're the people I share my heart with and my burdens. They're the people I share my mess with. And so you become very vulnerable. And there's no more vulnerable relationship than a marriage Jesus, in very limited circumstances, allows divorce. And we won't get into that this morning. I've taught on that several times in the past, if you want to learn more about that. But in very limited, but painful, painful, messy circumstances, God allows for divorce. And someone else's sin complicates your life. And it forces you to make those... Hard and difficult choices. It complicates the life of your children. It complicates the lives of your families and your relatives. It can complicate the life of a church. I've walked through that number numerous times. It can complicate the life of a, of a business. It can complicate the life of a subdivision even. When everybody is friends and then suddenly there's been a betrayal, especially if the betrayal has been within the community itself. It complicates and hard choices have to be made. And over the years, and you don't do this for almost 50 years and not hear these kinds of stories and remember these kinds of stories. And if you're here this morning, I'm not talking to you or at you. I just want you to hear the Word of the Lord this morning. Remorse is not the same thing as repentance. Because in all of these stories, I meet people who feel bad. I meet people who are remorseful. I meet people who say, I wish I had never done it. I I wish that things could be different. I I did wrong. Remorse doesn't change a thing. Remorse is not the same as repentance. Repentance means to change. One of our best ministries here at Woodland is is our AA ministry. And the men and the women who gather for that ministry and you know, I I know they're wrestling with life addictions and I know they're wrestling with great problems and Two of them were in our first service this morning and I watch and I admire their love. They have repented. Repent means that you're going this direction. You turn around and you, you make the difficult life choices. You, you get help. You, you, if you're an alcoholic, you submit to something like AA and you make let other people become accountable in your life. Repentance is if you're hooked on internet pornography. You, you say to your wife, you say to your family, I am sorry, but I, I get a something like covenant eyes and I ask three or four other men to be my partner so that they know what I'm doing on my computer and they get a, they get a, a report every week you, you say to your wife here's my password you can search my computer at any time you see remorse says oh I wish I hadn't have done that but I'm going to cover this mess up I don't want anybody to know repentance says no I don't want to keep going that way I'm going to put some safeguards and I'm going to go this direction you see Judas was remorseful Judas knew he had done wrong. He was remorseful. He cried. He took the money that he was given for betraying Jesus and he took it to the temple and he threw it back in. But Judas didn't repent. I mean, he admitted, I've sinned. I've sinned. He said, I I hear that all the time. I've sinned. He even says, I betrayed innocent blood. I betrayed innocent blood. But you see, when you don't trust God with your mess, when you're one of those like I talked about when we had prayer this morning, maybe you're waiting on God to do a miracle in your life, but you're not pressing in in prayer. You're not asking other people to pray for you. Maybe you're waiting on somebody else to come and do it for you. You're like the man in John chapter 5 that Jesus spoke to. You just simply have an excuse. Jesus just wants to know, do you want to be well? Do you want to be delivered? Do you want to be saved? And you go, I can't Lord because nobody is doing this for me. The answer is not nobody. The answer is you putting your faith in God. The answer is letting other people help you and pray with you. Judas, because his trust was all in what he could do, he made his bed. He had to sleep in it. The good news is you may have made your bed, but you don't have to sleep in it. God can touch you and God can totally change the direction of your life. And I know there are people around you that will say to you, you made your bed, you can sleep in it. They couldn't give a flying rip about your pain because they have no compassion. But there are people here this morning who care about you, who love you, but greatest of all, there is a Messiah here this morning who took your sins and took your iniquities to the cross because God will give you a message out of your mess this morning. Can we give Him a hand of praise for that today? Peter was repentant. He was remorseful, but he was repentant. The Bible says he went away weeping bitterly and in that touching scene in the closing chapters of the book of John, Jesus confronts Peter three times. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And you see the proof was not in the words that Peter said. He said, yes Lord, I love You. Yes Lord, I love You. And the third time Jesus put that on him, It just wounded Peter's heart and he got what Jesus was saying. It's not enough to feel sorry and feel bad about what you've done. He says in Peter, feed my sheep. And the proof was in the life of Peter. And we're working through the first two epistles of Peter in our Wednesday night services here. And I read those wonderful lines and chapters that Peter wrote in those two letters to the church. And I remember the impetuous. I remember the sinful. I remember the rebellious Peter. The braggart Peter. And then when I read these very humble but powerful words, because Peter's life... There was repentance. He made Himself accountable. And even in death, when they crucified Peter, Peter said, please don't crucify me right side up. I'm not worthy to die like my Savior. And church and historical tradition says they crucified Him upside down. You see, repentance is the change that brings fruit. And Peter died in his old age a beloved man who loved the people of God and helped them to see God will give you a message out of your mess. So sometimes people sin against you and sometimes you sin. But you serve a Savior, a Messiah this morning that God said, name Him Jesus for He Will save his people from their sins. God saves us from our mess this morning. And that's good news for somebody who's made as many messy mistakes as I have made. My wife came to me about a little toy that I used to love when I was a kid. And you could write on it and pull the sheet up and everything disappear and you'd write back on it again. She found some and says, Let's get those for the boys our grandsons. And then I thought, they're not going to like those. But then I thought, they're going to like those. So we got them for our boys. You know, with my iPad, I can just shake it and it will erase something. And sometimes Jesus gets a hold of me and He shakes me up a little bit. You ever been shaken up by God? And when He gets done shaking me, I go, Lord, I don't want to get back in that mess anymore. And He saves and He delivers us from us. And here's the thing. You will never, ever, ever, listen, you will never, ever discover this aspect of God if you're always trying to reason it out, make it logical. So stop trying to make sense out of God. Stop trying to make sense out of what God does. Now, God's teachings in the Bible, the Old Testament, the New Testament, the things that Jesus taught us, they're logical, but... They're supra-logical. And when I said, not super, supra. S-U-P-R-A. <clears throat> I had two cars called Supras. And that meant they were way beyond the normal. That's what the, why the Japanese named them. So they could trick a young guy like me into buying a car with the name Supra on it. And, you know, it was supposed to be a superior car. And it was fun. I'll admit that. But you can forgive me for that later, Detroit. But... That was before I moved up here too and saw the light, by the way. But anyhow, I, I had these cars, and I, the word supra is a real word. It means it's above. God's word is supra logical, God's word is wisdom beyond anything in this world. That's why it works in our lives. And you've got to stop trying to make sense out of God. I mean, I believe the Bible. I don't know how God did it, but you know, a great fish swallowed up Jonah. And I've almost missed miracles at times in my life because I've tried to make things make sense. And, and I always go back to the story of Jonah. I don't know how God did that, but... You know, I've asked God before, God, where was the ventilation shaft inside of that great fish? God, how did he survive the stomach acids of that great fish? Lord, how did that happen? And I feel like George Washington Carver sometime. George Washington Carver said he went to God one time and he says, God, show me the secret of the universe. And Carver says that God spoke to him and says, for such a little man, you ask an awfully big question So Carver came back to God and said show me the secret of peanuts and that's history now. You know, I don't know how God did it. If you try to make sense out of how God did it, you're going to always be struggling with miracles. But then one day, I'm praying about this very same thing again because a lot of times, atheists, I had one at Starbucks just before Christmas. I told you about him just a few, moment, few, few weeks ago. You know, he asked me that very question and I said, you know, if you're going to try and make God make sense, you're never going to find God because you're trying to put God in your little logical box and that just, poof, you know, just kind of blew him away. But I was praying about that and then suddenly in Jonah chapter 1 these words stood out to me. God prepared a great fish. I don't know if it was a whale. I don't know what it was. I do know this. God prepared that fish to swallow Jonah so somehow or another he was able to survive the stomach acids, the ventilation, and have the oxygen he needed to breathe because God is preparing a miracle for you today. You see, Jonah had made a mess of his life. He tried to outrun God. And look here, you may be smart, but you're not smarter than God. You are not going to outfox God. You're not going to outrun God. And so God prepared. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God's prepared you. Now, I also have another word just burning in my spirit this morning. I was up praying, and this is not even in my outline, so this won't cost you anything. But I was up praying, and I just... Early this morning, I was just asking God to do something. I was praying about the altar service. But then suddenly, this thought came to mind. Some of my people, I have brought them through a mess. I prepared a miracle for them. And yet, they're still bitter. And Jonah's bitterness because God chose to save lost people that He didn't want to see saved. Your past miracle is not a guarantee of your present day miracle unless you learn the power of forgiveness the power of forgiveness is so much greater than anything you could ever dream so stop trying to demystify God stop trying to explain God C.S. Lewis helped me to understand this years ago in his book The Abolition of Man there's two books I'd recommend to you along this line this morning Miracles by C.S. Lewis and then The Abolition of Man by C.S. Lewis but let me read this to you You cannot go on explaining away forever. You will find that you've explained explanation itself away. You cannot go on seeing through forever. For the whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. Now, don't miss that. The whole point of seeing through something is to see something through it. It is good that the window should be transparent because the street or garden beyond it is opaque if it's not transparent. How if you saw through the garden too? It's no use trying to see through first principles. If you see through everything, then everything is transparent. But a wholly transparent world is an invisible world. To see through all things is the same as not to see. Dear ones, especially those of you who came to this altar for prayer this morning, I want you to know, see through the problem to the cross. See through the problem to the miracle that you need from God. But don't try to make sense of how God's going to do it. Don't try to make sense of why God's going to do it. Just simply come to God. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Thus says the Bible. Now think about that. Isaiah was trying to reason with the folks that he was preaching to, and the Lord gave him this word. and I hope this helps you as well. Speaking of God, God is the potter, and He's certainly greater than you, the clay. Shouldn't the created thing say of the one who made it? Should the created thing say of the one who made it? He didn't make me. Does a jar ever say the potter who made me is stupid? I have a friend that's a part. Mark is a potter. He's a great artist and lives in the state of Iowa. We were talking about this one time. And he says, "Yeah, there are often times when I, I throw wet clay on the wheel and I begin to shape it and I'm not satisfied with what it's becoming like or there's a flaw in it. And he says, I just crush it and I start all over again. He said, but I don't throw the clay away. I just crush it. I just take my hand and I smash it. And I bring it back up until it's what I want it to be. And I thought about that. And I said, Mark, do you suppose that God ever does that in our lives when we sin and He just breaks us and crushes us? And He goes, oh yes. And then that verse of Scripture came as he and I are having a conversation together. I will dwell with them of a broken heart and a crushed spirit. I don't know about you. I can feel that crushed spirit because I've been through those messes that have crushed my spirit and crushed my soul. And some of you here this morning, you may be crushed in spirit and you may be crushed in soul. But understand this. God doesn't throw you away. God keeps working on you until He makes you what He's created you to be this morning. God will bring a message out of your mess. And that's why you're here this morning. Mark said this to me as well. He says, you know, what's always been comforting to me when I'm working with the clay is God spoke everything into existence. But when we came to human beings, God said, let us make them in our image. And so out of the clay of the earth, God made us. You were not spoken into existence. You were created by the very hands of God who never gives upon you. Isn't that good news? And You see, if you suppress that, if you allow culture to suppress that from your children and your grandchildren, they're going to have messes in their life that they won't know how to come through. The bank can't pull them through. The government can't pull them through. I mean, let's face it. Our world is in a mess right now. We're torn up in an impeachment, ceremony, uh, uh, impeachment uh, trial that's going on in the nation that's got families and the nation divided against each other. We almost had a war with Iran. You know, there are people wringing their hands over Harry and Meghan. Give me a break. They're going to be okay, all right? They're going to be okay. By the way, I'm an American. We don't have a, monarchy. we chose to do away with a monarchy a long time ago. So, Becky, Harry, and Megan are going to be just fine. All right, my wife's an Anglophile. (laughs) You say, Pastor, how do you know all that? I'm married to Becky. (laughs) You see, the world is a, I read it this week in the newspaper. There's never been a more dangerous time in the world than right now. They have been saying that for the 64 years I have been alive. But God's still on the throne. God doesn't give up on you. So in that day, and and by the way, God doesn't explain how this is going to happen. In that day, the deaf will hear words read from a book, and the blind will see through the gloom and darkness, and the humble will be filled with fresh joy from the Lord, and the poor will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel, and the wayward will gain understanding, and the complainers will accept instruction. Isn't that good news? That's what he's saying is going to happen. You will be filled with joy. You will hear again. And this morning, I think the Lord sent you here. And I prayed especially for you. God help them to hear this message and take it into their heart. God will give you a message out of your mess this morning. And God is saying to you this morning, don't you lay there thinking, I made this bed. I got to live in it. You serve a Messiah who came to save us from all of our sins. Now give the Lord a hand of praise if you wants to. <laughs> Hallelujah. That's good news. You see, in Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, the Bible says, if God didn't hesitate to put everything on the line for us, now notice this, embracing our condition. Embracing. I love to get hugs. I love it when people hug me. I love to hug people. Some of you, you know, maybe you don't like that. And that's okay. I won't hug you if you don't like that. Just come through and shake my hand. If you really feel like being brave, give me a man hug, you know, and just put your arm between us. But God, God embraced my mess. Do not get this with the cross? And this is what continually puzzles me about believers. This precious symbol is that God, it's, we don't venerate this, but this says that God Embrace your mess. And sometimes I have hugged people in a suit that were a mess and the cleaners could not get the mess out of my suit. Sometimes I've embraced people on the street and the laundry could not get the mess out of my clothes. But embracing them was the best thing I could do for them to tell them that God loves them just like they are. And if you're a mechanic and I've been to your shop, I've shook your hands when you said, oh pastor, I'm greasy. And I've hugged you when you said I'm greasy. Because I want you to know God embraces our mess. He took our sins. He took our iniquities. He took our sicknesses. He took our failures. He took our frustrations. And He embraced Himself upon the cross. And what a cleaner can't do and what a laundry can't do, the blood of Jesus, Christ can do. What can wash away my sins? Nothing but the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's what he means by this. And if God embraced your condition, exposing himself to the worst by sending his own son, would you read this with me? Is there anything else he would it gladly and freely do for us? Read that again. Is there anything else he would it gladly and freely do for us? God is happy to bless you. And God is not going to charge you one thin dime for it. God is happy to forgive you of your sins. God is happy to give you a second chance, a third chance, a fourth chance. Monday I preached the funeral of a wonderful woman, precious member of our congregation, Marcella. What a joy to preach her funeral and... Weep with her family and laugh with her family as we talked. And Marcella's son walked out of my study after we'd met for two and a half hours. And he walked out of my son, out of my study, but he got about halfway out of the office. He came back and he says, Pastor, I don't know why. I feel so much better now just being able to talk about his mom and heaven and what God had done. Friends, this is good news. I preached another funeral on Friday for a man that I prayed with to give his heart to Jesus in the hospital had a heart attack and died and I just prayed with him that the Lord would save him and embrace him and clean him up in his mess and talking with his family. There are many yet that don't understand the gospel. And will you pray with me that they'll come to know Jesus. And they'll come to know the gospel. Because it doesn't make sense that God would take us and clean us up in our mess. But God freely and gladly, wherever you're at in life, whatever you've done, there's nothing that you've done that God won't clean you up. So here's what I want to say. Come to God this morning and ask in faith. I mean ask in faith. I mean, grab on to the grace of God. There's a, a symbolic picture of this in the Old Testament. It was real in the Old Testament days. We, we don't have to do this. We talked about this a little bit with the Jewish family that I was with last week. But you, you grab on to the horns of the altar. And if you grabbed on to the horns of the altar, the Avengers could not pull you away from that because it was a place of security. I'm saying grab on to the grace of God. Jesus is the one, not your pastor. I'm not promising you anything except that God is always faithful to His words. If I tell you, you've got reason to question, if I say, because I may not have the power, I may not have the resources, I may not have the compassion, but you serve a great, big, wonderful God who is always watching over you, and His resources and His compassion are unlimited in Christ. So hang on to the grace of God. He must ask in faith without any doubting. You say, Pastor, how, what is faith? When I pray about something, I don't leave any error. I don't say, God, if you don't answer this, this is what I'm going to do. Faith doesn't leave room for failure. I just expect God's going to answer that prayer. And then I go on. I, it doesn't mean I still don't go to the doctor if I'm sick. It doesn't mean that I still don't save for retirement. It just means I go on in faith. Number two, ask boldly. I mean, when you, if you're in a mess... You don't need to be shy about it. If you're in a mess, you don't need to be timid about it. <clears throat> if you're in a mess, get other people to help you and ask boldly. I mean, ask for anything. That's what Jesus said. He he looked at that man in John chapter 5 and he says, and that's not even my text this morning, but it's just where I keep coming back to. Whatever, what do you want? And rather than asking boldly, I mean, imagine Jesus looking at you this morning and saying, what do you want from me? What do you want from me? What do you want from me? And you're looking at Jesus and going, well, Jesus, for my grandson Josiah, you know, he's got to have the right doctors. He's got to have this. No. I'm saying, Jesus, I want one day for Josiah and I to be able to stand up together and testify to your healing, saving grace together in the name of Jesus Christ. You say, well, pastor, that's just foolish. He has an incurable disease. Nothing is impossible with God. And Jesus said, ask him for anything. You see, that's what I mean. Don't be embarrassed. I don't care what other people think. I don't care if people think I'm crazy. I don't think they go, oh, tis, tis, that poor old grandpa. Get out of my way. I am going to the throne of grace. And if you get in my way, I will run over you to get to the throne of grace because I know I serve a God who is bigger than all my problems, bigger than all my cares. My God is able to do anything, and He did it through Christ at Calvary and the resurrection of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. (laughs) Ask boldly. I know I've shared this a hundred times, but friends, you just don't know. Dr. Terrigula shared with me in frustration, he goes, you can do this? I go, yes. You can do this? I go, yes. You can do that? I go, yes. He goes, you can't do that. I said, well, I'm doing it right now. He goes, I know. And that's what's so frustrating. He says, you don't exist. I go, I'm here. He was the one that stood at my foot of my bed and says, I don't believe in miracles. You're going to die. Friends, don't be embarrassed. Some of the things I asked God for years ago, I was so embarrassed. It almost kept me from getting my miracle. Because all I could do was listen to all the specialists who had told me things. And so one day I just decided if I can ask him anything, and if the Bible says don't throw away your bold faith, it will bring you rich rewards. I decided to trust God rather than trust the words of people that didn't believe. You can't suppress the knowledge of God. If you suppress the knowledge of God, generations are going to miss out on what God wants to do for them. Ask him for anything. And maybe the thing that embarrasses you most to pray about is where God will bring the richest reward of your faith at. Somebody say, Praise the Lord this morning. Third, don't grow weary as you're praying. Never give up. The devil will come to try and deceive some of you as soon as the service is over. You, you feel good. You've been prayed for. You, you're, as Arnold Schwarzenegger used to say, you're all pumped up. And then you're going to go out of here and if you don't keep praying and keep claiming the Word of God and keep reading your Bible and keep listening to messages like this, you're going to get all deflated. God doesn't want you to live like some Christmas or Halloween decoration pumped up and deflated the next day. Frosty looks terrible on the front lawns when he's not pumped up. And you look terrible in your faith when you go from service to service hoping to get pumped up, I'm not here to pump you up. I just want to tell you what the Word of the Lord says. Because if you'll feast on that, you will build spiritual muscles like you've never had before in your life. Let us not become weary in doing good. For the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You say, Pastor, does the devil ever try to deceive? "Oh!" You would be surprised sometimes what I wrestle with when I'm preaching. They're not ready to hear this. You, they're not going to like this. You know, you should. And I mean, I prayed. I've written all week long. And then there's a spiritual warfare. That's why I ask you to pray for me every week. I mean, there was a part of me didn't want to say some of what I've already said this morning. And it's that the, you fight a very real enemy. Now, here's something you need to know. Somebody came to me just recently and says, yeah, but God has given the devil authority in this world. Let me tell you something. Devil does not have authority in this world. That is just bad, bad theology. And if anybody's taught you that, when Jesus died on the cross and rose again on the third day, he took the keys of death, hell, and grave, and all the authority away from the devil. The devil is on a very short leash. He belongs to God. Jesus is Lord of the kingdoms of this earth and the kingdoms of heaven, and he's Lord of your life as well this morning. So don't throw away your bold faith. And then fourthly this morning... Step out in faith. Do something. You've been prayed for this morning. I don't mean stop taking your medication. I don't mean stop you know, following your financial plan. But do something to step out in faith. Yesterday I was talking to mother. And we were just going back over some things. My mom and my dad and I can feel their hands laid upon me. The pastor that I've told you about before, Gerald Bayes, just that used to come to the hospital and pray with me all the time as just a baby and a boy, just recently passed away over the Christmas holidays. His daughter wrote me this week and she said, Dennis, Dad always carried a picture of you in his wallet. And he would show people and say, this is our miracle. And I can't tell you what her letter meant to me letting me know her father had passed away. But something just kind of birthed in my spirit. Because of my grandparents' faith and my parents' faith, I'm here today. I raised my children. Becky and I raised our children with that faith. And now we have a grandson who needs faith. And there is cumulative value Just think about it growing. There's cumulative value in generation, and I wish there was another place to step, generation after generation, of passing on the stories of faith to your children. There's cumulative value in your faith this morning. You have started as a new Christian on a path of building faith for your family and for your daughters. You've started, Scott, on building faith for your children. I watched Haley up here this morning. Oh, you saw it, didn't you? It was like the glory of the Lord was all over that, I won't say child, that young woman. You see, there's cumulative value in year after year of serving the Lord. Moses was this great man of faith. And I really do admire Moses. Moses. Moses had some messes as well. There's nobody in the Bible that didn't have a mess. And for my Roman Catholic friends who listen, some of them tell me they listen to our messages here. You know, Mary, Mac- Mary the mother of Jesus, she was virtuous, but she was not immaculate. She was in that, that room with 120 other people waiting on the coming of the Holy Spirit waiting on the coming of the Holy Spirit just like the rest of them were. Jesus died to set His mother free. And she is worthy of all the honor. She is worthy of every... God trusted Joseph and Mary to raise His little boy. Who taught Jesus? (laughs) Who taught Joshua? Moses and there came a day in the next generation where Moses had died and the Lord tells Joshua he said Joshua now you you've got to take and you've got to lead so Joshua tells them take up the chest of the covenant step out before the people and this is at the Jordan River for those of you who don't know this story the Jordan River was at flood stage And what God did at the Red Sea, God did at the Jordan River for a new generation. And the waters parted and they took the Ark of the Covenant and they entered the Promised Land. That's what I'm basing my bold, audacious request from the Lord. I want to stand with my grandson. I want the next generation to carry it on. Take what's foolish to this world and weak to this world because you are a perfect God who's invaded this imperfect world. And before you come again, you have said, you will make your presence known to us. And so for some of you this morning, you've been a Christian a long time, but you've stopped growing. Some of you this morning, you've been a Christian for a long time and you've really lost your passion. You used to be passionate about prayer. You used to be passionate about sharing your faith. Some of you, you just count on the fact, I'm saved. But you know that aspect of being a passionate follower of Jesus, it's not there. And I believe the Lord is saying to you from this word this morning, take back what the devil has stolen from you. Take back the time. Take back the high places. Take back the promises of God. Oh, Pastor, I got so tired of waiting on God. I got so weary of waiting on God. It's, I've been praying about this for years, Pastor, and it just seems like like I told the first service. I told the first service this morning, you may have been praying about something for years, but the deception of the enemy is to get you to give up. And some of you may be like, Fred, who went to heaven never seeing his prayer answered never seeing what he wanted to see answered but on the day of his funeral his entire family was here and they heard the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ somebody else that didn't give up was Marcella Begman and this little box this little box contains the prayers that Marcella written down as I read through all of them and laughed. There, there are prayers for Rick and Norman. in there. There are prayers for Becky and I in there. There are prayers for you in there. Not one prayer for herself. Marcella dying of cancer. If she fought through that thing, she died in faith at 80-something years old, still praying every single day. And there were prayers answered on the day of her funeral. You may not see the answer to your prayers, but God keeps your prayers before Him all the time, according to the book of Revelations. Can we give the Lord a hand of praise so that don't give up? Say, Pastor, what do you mean take back the high places? Because in the Bible, there are places that the Bible describes as high places that the children of Israel gave up. And when you take them back, I've got to tell you, the view's pretty incredible. Once you conquer the high places, God wants to get some of you out of the valley and get you on the mountaintop today. Can you say amen? Well, Father, right now, in the name of Jesus there may be some who didn't come to the altar this morning they were embarrassed or maybe they've just grown tired there were some Lord that maybe today they've been trying to make sense out of you before they commit their life to you God would you help them to see just how silly that is for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek you. I'm not asking them to be a member of this church. I'm not asking them to give us anything, but just give their heart to you. And if they'll trust you with what little bit of knowledge they have of you, then Lord, I promise them before you, they will get to know you better and better and better. I think most everyone here is a follower of Jesus, but just in case, or maybe you've really grown lukewarm in your spirit, why don't you right now just bow your head. You're sitting there. Nobody would know. You don't have to pray out loud. And pray something like this. Say, Lord, I'm a comfortable mess right now, but there's no real power. There's no real unction in my life. I just get up and go through the routines. I want you, Lord, to fill me again with the Holy Spirit. I want a white heart heart for you. So I come back to you and I pray, Lord, revive me, refresh me. Maybe you, I don't know it, but maybe you've backslid and you just need to say, Lord. Maybe you grew up like Carol and Jim Simbla's daughter. You knew the Lord, but you just wandered away. And that wondering is taking you down a path. Right now, you know that wandering is taking you down a path that's going to destroy your life. It's going to destroy everything that you love dearly. And even if you get there, I want you to know God will still love you and save you from that mess, but you don't have to go there. So would you recommit your life to Christ right now and say, Lord, I'm sorry. Give me back good Holy Spirit-filled sense to follow you. And if you didn't, Come to the altar this morning and you need a miracle from God not just healing but maybe financial emotional a family problem then when Pastor Rick comes and dismisses this service I want you to come down I'm asking you for your sake come down and receive prayer and the anointing of oil